Amen, amen. Welcome this morning. You can grab a seat, and uh, if you've got a copy of God's Word, get it out in front of you and get it open to um, the letter uh, from Paul to Titus. Um, Titus chapter 3 is where we're going to be at today. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving. Thumbs up for Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, hope everybody's not still like feeling the impact of that. Might cause you to nod off or anything like that. But um, I am uh, really, really thankful for um, all of the work that's gone into um, just what's been happening in and around um, some things in our building and uh, just love getting the building ready for Christmas. I love the, the look and feel that's going on in our cafe. Um, I just want you guys to know that um, Lauren uh, Shear, who is up here um, uh, singing, leading us this morning in worship, uh, she uh, works as my um, ministry assistant part-time here at the church. Uh, her hands are in all of the creative parts. If you're like, man, the, the, the colors look great and the design of stuff out there, that's all her, okay, not me. I'm just like, that looks great, good idea. And so I just want us to have an opportunity. Um, her, along with so many other people, a number, of, a number of community groups came in this week to help set up things for uh, sort of the Christmas season. So let's just show our appreciation this morning. Um, I love um, the warmth of our building. I love the opportunity we have every a week in different ways, th even throughout the week, uh, for our church, um, this place to be a gathering place for God's people. And um, I'm excited for Christmas, uh, but remember, as we're um, walking through the series, um, we want to be about more than just celebrating Christmas. Uh, we want to share Christmas. And so over the next four weeks, um, hope and peace, love, joy, all of it sort of culminating with a, a right and good um, opportunity uh, to celebrate together on Christmas Eve. And um, if you guys notice as you came in, if you didn't get your hands on one of them, we actually put together um, a Christmas decoration uh, for you that'll be a reminder of this series. And it's got the cards that have all of the different words, hope, peace, love, and joy. It's got uh, some clothes pins and a little uh, string in there. And this is for you to kind of put up on your wall. And uh, it's also a reminder on the back of each one of those has the passage that we're going to be going through uh, each week um, with the different words that we're studying together. And so um, hope that'll be a blessing to your home and a good reminder of what we're learning together. And this morning, we're going to be talking about hope. And hope um, is, it, it is a feeling that some desire will be fulfilled. That's what hope is. That's a definition of hope, and uh, I know that in speaking into this subject, that there are many people that need um, a deeper, more abiding, um, consistent understanding of the hope found in the Bible, the hope found in the gospel, and I know I'm running right um, into, uh, right even against, you might say, uh, some hopelessness, and so um, I'm trusting this morning not in uh, my ability to persuade anyone, but in my um, desire just to humbly proclaim God's word and let the spirit work on your heart. So let me just pray for us before we begin. God, we're entering into a, a subject that um, when we have grasped it rightly is a, a, a major place of strength for the followers of Jesus Christ. But Father, both for the world and for those who maybe are struggling or have put their hope in the wrong places, um, this subject is hard. 
And we're entering right into places where there has been hopelessness. And I pray this morning that your word might lead us and your gospel might proclaim something greater. So I ask that you would do it through the work of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, hopelessness um, is, is, is a pretty significant crisis in our culture today. Um, I, just, just watching the world, um, talking to people in and of the world, even for the followers of Jesus Christ, wrestling through a life, there could be a lot of hopelessness. In 2015, Psychology Today called it an epidemic of hopelessness. It's an epidemic that's lasted a lot longer than anything we've been talking about in our culture recently. Um, uh, the, this idea of hopelessness, it creates um, a regular experience of sort of this foreboding sense of just like, ugh. You know what I'm talking about? Like despair and um, what the epidemic of hopelessness does is it results in so many uh, social ills around hopelessness is a significant increase in drug and alcohol abuse and suicide and so many other things. There is both a mental component to it and sometimes the mental emotional component leads to actual physical components to it. And it's not better today since 2015 Harvard Youth Poll from April 2021. 51% of young Americans say that at least several days in the last two weeks they have felt down, depressed, or hopeless. And so into this, honestly, the question that I've processed numerous times is, I'm surprised it's not worse. I really am. Because I don't know what the world has to offer. Like, I don't know why people would hope in the world. I'm shocked when I put in different ways my hope in the world. I'm like, really? The message of the world is to put your hope in your own desires, do whatever you want to, reject God and make yourself God, chase whatever desires you have with no restraint, no moral order, no foundation, but our desires, look around, they're not leading to satisfaction. They're not leading to this like, we found it, we got it, human flourishing. I don't see, at in no point in my life have I seen, have I watched the world and, 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 and seen them get to a place where they're like, we found it, we've arrived. Instead, it's, it's the very opposite. Even for the fortunate few, you see the stories, they fulfilled their grand desires only to find that it still doesn't satisfy the, the, the cravings of the human heart for something more. You still see it all around our culture. And on top of that, we, in this life, we face the temporariness of life because what looms ahead for all of us in, at some point in some number of days is death. And to watch the world uh, wrestle with that is tragic, honestly. It doesn't matter what the world does to try to make it look prettier. It's bleak. It's a bleak picture. And if, if, if your hope is in the world, there's really nothing more than what you have in this life. There's no eternal life. And into that, without question, hopelessness sort of creeps in. And it has this way of working itself into our heart and our soul and stealing joy and creating instability at every place. It's natural and understandable though for that to be the result if your hope is in this world. 
So what happens as a result of that is I see this pattern again and again. We, we medicate to make ourselves feel better or we insulate ourselves to be like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And we medicate or we insulate. We try to imagine it's not true, but we know that nothing holds. And into this bleak picture of hopelessness, hope shines brightly from the gospel. 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21 reads, He, Jesus Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. See, when Jesus entered the world on Christmas morning, hope also broke over the horizon of human history and began to shine its light out to the world. The Son of God entered the world. The only hope that conquers hopelessness is gospel hope. And one of the most concise passages that gives us a glimpse of gospel hope is in Titus chapter three. Follow along with me starting in verse three. It's not gonna start off hopeful, okay? You gotta stay with me. Verse three, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Not off to a great start. But, but, just circle that, so good. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to, and here it is, the hope of eternal life. It's a real hope. It's not a verb. It's a noun like Chris so rightly said. And so into this we see this move when you read about that hope and you think about the hopelessness of this world Here's the big move this morning. Set your hope on the promises of the gospel. Set it there. And if we want to set our hope on the promises of the gospel, there needs to be two commitments that are playing out all the time in our life. Two commitments that sort of guide our thinking, our affections, and our actions. Two commitments. Commitment number one, refuse to put your hope in this world refuse to put your hope in this world. First, no hope in life apart from Christ. No hope in life apart from Christ. Look at verse three. What, what Paul here is he's doing is, I, I love how Paul doesn't kind of put himself above the people. He's just like, look what he says in verse three. For we ourselves, collectively, all of us together, let's just take a moment and let's look back on our past when our hope was in the world. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You were foolish, you were disobedient, there was confusion resulting from that. You were a slave to sinful desires. Malice and envy marked your days, being hated and hating. That's the picture of life apart from Christ. 
So you can just write down in that. If we're thinking about um, a summary of the world, um, you could write down next to all of those words. You could be like 2021, 2020, 2019, 2005, 1977, 415. I don't care what year you come up with. It's been the same. Where sin marks the world, this is what happens when people put their hope in the world. If you try to put your hope there, you'll face deep disappointment. And if you try again and again and you face the same outcome, that leads to hopelessness. That leads to hopelessness. No hope in life apart from Christ. And in this passage also, um, Paul deals with another issue that we need to be careful of in refusing to put your hope in the world. Because you might be like, oh, I got a brilliant idea. Maybe I can do um, into this hopeless world, maybe I can, in my power, I can do enough good works. And, and maybe then if I do enough good works, I'll earn approval from God and from others. Maybe I can actually redeem the hopelessness of this world by enough good works. Look in verse 5. Right after Paul writes, he saved us, an important clarification, not because of works done by us in righteousness. This hope, this hope that comes in salvation is not dependent on your good works or my good works. There's no hope in your good works. Reliable hope the sort of hope that can bear your full weight of your life cannot be dependent on your actions. Not then, not now, not ever. It's too unstable. It's too inconsistent. We are as broken as the world is. We understand that. We're familiar with our flesh and the desires of our flesh. We're marred by sin. We're desperately wicked. Apart from the restraining, sanctifying power of God in our lives, we so quickly rush to the world and to sin. Hoping in self to achieve some sense of rightness in a hopeless world is not a stable foundation. No hope in your good works. No hope in life apart from Christ. No hope in your good works. Refuse to put your hope in the world. Refuse. Refuse. Um, anyone who knows me knows that um, I've always been a little angsty, if that's a word. Is that a word? Angsty? I've always been a little angsty about this world and, and honestly about this life. And if I was to walk with you through um, some different key moments in my life, um, I, previous to coming to Christ, um, wrestled with some pretty long seasons of both depression and anxiety. Um, I especially, like I said, before I came to faith in Christ, um, just seasons where I was trying to get hope out of the world. And I was finding it not uh, my best move and not resulting in anything stable. Even after coming to Christ, when, when I've gotten my eyes on something and I found myself putting even good things, even, even, even things that people might be like, oh, that's so God-honoring. I put, I put my hope in those things and I found myself disappointed and even in my own walk with Christ, there's been moments of depression and anxiety. I was just talking to my wife about that this past week 
And when I get too focused on this world, there's a hopelessness that comes, that can, that can come crashing into my life just like it can yours. And even before coming to faith in Christ, um, I remember so distinctly having a deep frustration and at times a hatred for the world. Just like this world is so messed up. And before Christ, though, I had no answer for the pain and the struggle that I saw in the world. I, I tried to find stability in the world, I never succeeded, but, 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 but even in the midst of that, even before coming to Christ, I still had this uh, wisdom that I believe to today was a work of God's spirit early in my heart. I had an ability to look at the world, to look at worldly relationships and worldly pursuits. I just saw them as hopeless. Like I've never been the guy that can like sort of fake like everything's okay. It's just sweet, everything's great, even though I know it's really not. And I just always have had this ability to see through it. And looking back, I really see that as God's spirit preparing me to see the truth and the authenticity in the gospel. And even after coming to faith in Christ, my hatred for the world has only intensified and, and has remained. I, I just don't trust the world with my hope. Early in my relationship with Jesus, I remember, you know, getting oriented to this whole like Christian music thing and uh, and there was a band, how many of you have heard of the band uh, Cabin's Call? Anybody? Okay, a few people. And uh, one, of, one of the first albums, they actually played, before they were more well-known, they played in this um, underground sort of coffee, Christian coffee house in, in Kansas City where I grew up. And I was there a number of times when they played early when I was in college. And one of their first albums had a song on that album called This World. And you know how sometimes lines in songs get themselves like just stuck in your head? There's a line in this song that became a very easy mantra for me to sort of grab hold of. And the beginning of the song, it's talking about uh, uh, this, this fleeting hope in the world. And then it says this, it says, this world has nothing for me. But then thinking about the kingdom of God, that was the, the reference came next. But this world has everything. And I just remember just that resting on my heart and my mind. This world has nothing for me, but this world has everything. So consistent with what you see in God's word. When you truly understand the nature of this world, you know it has nothing for you. And church, let me just encourage you this morning. We live in a war between two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. It's a constant war. In this life, this side of heaven, don't be surprised by the war because it's a war. It never ceases this side of eternity. And it is a war for our hearts and our souls. The first step to win the war is to refuse to put your hope in this world. No hope in life apart from Christ. No hope in your good works. If you try to put your hope in the world, you're gonna get burned. I just promise you, that's a promise. And it's not going to hold it's not going to last. And yes, we have to navigate through the world. We want to navigate through the world with wisdom where we have a responsibility. And like we've been talking about even in, in, in the past few weeks and months in our church, we have a mission that God has us. He's given us life for a reason. And that helps redeem the why do I have this life and why is it so hard? Because there's a mission that we have to preach the gospel and to bring the truth of gospel hope to a world that is hopeless. 
And yes, we need to show the love of Christ to people and point them to the gospel. We, need, we should advocate for godly principles in our world and show compassion to a hopeless world. But you must refuse to put your hope in this world because this world has nothing for you. Guard your hope. Guard your hope. Like, like, like if you've ever been around a little, um, a little infant, like a two or three year old, and if they ever have like their cherished blankie or their stuffed animal, have you ever watched how much they guard it? Like they'll be like, oh, I like you, I'll smile, touch my blankie and you die. <laughs> they give you a look. Like how many parents, raise your hand, if you've ever had a moment where it was like, um, all points bulletin, find the blankie. How many, how many? Like, like you've turned your house over because you're like, this child will be inconsolable without the blankie or the stuffed animal. Okay, I'm not gonna have you raise your hand if you still have the blankie or stuffed animal as an adult. We'll just, we'll let you just wrestle that on your own. And, um, but, but they guard it. it. It gives them a sense of security. And, and, and so we have to guard our hope. Notice the places where you're deceived to put your hope in this world. See the ways that you deceive yourself to believe that that place in your life, that I'm, I'm gonna put my hope there and then get disappointed again. Notice the places where you're tempted. Notice the places where you try to put your hope in yourself. Many of you are struggling deeply because you have mistakenly put your hope in the world or in yourself. It's not working in the past. It's not gonna work if you try it again. Refuse to put your hope in the world. Guard your hope. And into this, what you gotta do is you gotta have, I, I've said this in a bunch of different ways in our church, you gotta set the world down and you gotta have a little meeting. You gotta be like, okay, world, listen. Um, I have mistakenly given you my hope. I've given it to you. And I've recognized that, that is, you're, you're doing nothing with my hope except disappointing me. So we're breaking up. Give me my hope back right now and get your hope back from the world and guard it and guard it and keep it and hold on to your hope before hopelessness overwhelms you in the relationship no hope in life apart from christ no hope in your good works and then standing there with your hope back in your hands take it from the world and standing there with hope back in your hands hear the gospel. Jesus came into the world as perfect man and perfect God. He lived a perfect life to be the perfect sacrifice for you. He died as that perfect sacrifice for your sins. All the things that steal hope, all the temptation that leads you to put your hope in this world, he died for that. And he rose victorious from the grave. He ascended then to sit on the throne he is preparing also to return again to put sin and death away for good and to usher in eternity. Amen? Hear the gospel, and because of that gospel, rest your hope on gospel promises. It's the second commitment we have to make. If we want to walk in hope, We've got to rest your hope on gospel promises. So let me break this down for you right from this passage first. It's gospel promises secured in the past. Church, they've already been poured out. 
start here. It's already a reality. It's already been fixed in history. It's already been finished, fully completed. First, look, verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, it started to appear already in human history when Jesus entered the world, when God came and broke into our world. That's a gospel promise secured in the past. It's recorded history. Then it says, in next, it says he saved us. There's an aspect of his salvation that is past tense. It's already been accomplished. It's already been done. We don't have to wait for uh, some things to come together and hope it comes together perfectly so that we can be saved. No, he's already made the move to bring salvation to us. That's why he offers salvation to us, that we receive by repenting and believing in Jesus Christ. It also says here, our, he saved us, then that part, not because of works done by us and righteous, but according to his own mercy. His own mercy, he's already shown you his mercy by the washing of regeneration. For those of you who are in Jesus Christ, for some of you, if you haven't yet put your faith in Christ, the regeneration is still, um, Lord willing, in your future. There's probably people praying around your life going, man, I'm just praying that, that the gospel will be opened up and that, that this friend, that family member that I love would see the gospel, would see Jesus for who he truly is. They're praying for your future regeneration. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, when our eyes were open to the gospel, when we repented and believed, regeneration had happened to lead us to the point where we could see Jesus. So regeneration, for some of us, we're praying for that in your future. For some of us, that's in our past. It's a promise secured there. Then verse 7, it says, so that being justified by his grace, justified church, it means this is one of those words we just got to make sure we understand. We have the meaning of this right at the tip of our tongues. A justified means declared righteous. When you repent and believe, you are justified. That means that you are declared right and good by the God of the universe. I, I don't know if somebody said something really encouraging to you this week that sort of stuck with you, but there is nothing more encouraging and deeply satisfying than the God of the universe saying, because of your faith in Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished, you are good and righteous before me, and so I welcome you to come to me. Church, there's, there's, just, there's nothing more encouraging and securing and that can fill us with hope than that, and that truth is rooted not in your actions, it's rooted in what Jesus already accomplished. And that is a secure place to put our hope. Promises secured in the past. Rest your hope on gospel promises. In addition, it talks about the Holy Spirit here and the renewal that the Holy Spirit brings. The Holy Spirit, when we repent and believe in Christ, it's given to us in fullness that was secured in the past. Rest your hope here on gospel promises. No security in the world, no security in your good works. I'm going to place my security, I'm going to place my hope in these promises secured in the past, in the justification, in the mercy, in the, in the appearing of Christ, 
Place your hope there, but not just in the past. Also, gospel promises waiting in the future. The, um, the, I, I watch it so often in songs that we sing in church, right? And there's this, there's this build up that comes from songs that testify to the gospel. And it's like, it's like you, you feel the, the move upward as it's like Jesus came into the world and then he died on the cross and then there's this moment of like, what's gonna happen? And then there's like this bursting forth that even as we sing it, we feel the emotion of the resurrection. And then there's this moment still, even after all of that, that when we start to sing about him coming again, there's something that within our hearts is like, yes, yes, yes. And the affirmation is a declaration of where our hope is. And that's why we get so stirred up in those moments in singing about the gospel. Because God's promises will find their complete and total fulfillment in the future when Christ ushers in eternity by establishing the new heavens and the new earth. And so all aspects of the gospel and of salvation, they've only been revealed partially. And just that partial revelation is enough to grip our lives if we see even partially, it, it, it can open our eyes to the truth of who Jesus Christ is and it can rearrange our entire life and eternity. Just a glimpse. It's like if you only had like this much of a vision of the stage and you're like, man, that looks pretty sweet. And maybe there's parts of it you're like, I, I, I can't quite see clearly what that is, but it's, it's vast and it's awesome and it's good. In eternity, this becomes this. And there's an awe that comes in that. And when we understand that reality, we understand that these future promises that we're given in scripture are to give us hope. And there's a word in this passage that, that really epitomizes this idea of future promises. It's in verse seven. I want you to see it there. So that being justified by his grace, we might become, what's the word, church? Heirs heirs. An heir is a person who is entitled to inherit the estate of another. By faith, by faith we've become children of God. Everything that God has is our inheritance. Just please, if you, if you, if you hear nothing else I've said, if you want to understand hope, let rest on your heart that because we become children of God, we've inher we inherit everything that God has. Look at, that's what Paul celebrates in Romans 8. Look at it. Romans 8, up on the screen, 14 through 17. For all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ himself, provided he, we suffer with him, there's a good glimpse of what the world and our life should look like, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Maybe some of you have an inheritance coming from your parents or your grandparents. And 
And because of that, you're an heir. Like you've been written into the will or into the trust, you're an heir. And it may even be significant enough, that inheritance, that maybe it's given you even some sense of financial hope in the future. Like I know that that's coming to me. Maybe some of you, the impact of that wealth has, has play, it plays out in your life in a way where it's already having a real financial impact. And, and, and there, there might even be an anticipation of more to come in the future. Even if your dad was this guy, this guy, Jeff Bezos, if this guy was your dad with a net worth of $200 billion, even if he was your dad, one of the richest men in the world, it does not compare with being a child of God. (laughs) It doesn't compare with being a child of God, the God who created every atom in the universe. You might find some financial security from being an heir to Jeff Bezos' wealth, but that wealth cannot buy you a second in eternal life. Not a second of it. That amount of wealth holds no promises beyond this life. And honestly, the benefits are really extremely limited in this life. Yes, you can buy whatever you want. But $200 billion cannot keep relationships intact. Just ask Jeff. It can't conquer sin and death. It can't forgive your sin and declare you righteous before God. Don't put your hope there. Put your hope on gospel promises waiting for you in the future. You can walk with the Spirit right now, right into the next moment and seconds and minutes and hours and days that lie ahead of you. Begin to experience the abundant blessings of being an heir with Christ, you can begin to taste your inheritance right now in the gospel. And it is so much richer and stable and good and nourishing for your heart and soul to find your hope placed right in and on, set upon those future gospel promises and walk in it and long for the fullness even more Get your eyes locked on that future inheritance. It gives you endurance to to walk through whatever struggles or pains that you might face in this life. It allows you to put them in perspective and give understanding. Just the fact that in eternity, God in his perfect justice is gonna reconcile and make right all wrongs can give the person that's walked through the worst evil in this world a sense of hope and stability. Just, just read the biographies of, of, of Christians long before us and the things that they've walked through and the hope that the gospel did. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches about hope. It says that hope gives encouragement. It says that it gives endurance. It says that it's a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul. There's one place that I love in scripture where it talks about hope and it says it's a living hope. See, I, sometimes I think we, we have this idea when we get around these words and they're just words to us. They're the words that might look pretty. Don't, don't just let the word hope look pretty on the card hanging on your wall. Realize it's alive. 
It, it still can interact with your life. It, it still has a reality and a fullness to it that when I start to unpack it, it starts to change the way I think and my life and the way I respond and to suffering and to opportunity and to anything that might play out in my life. It becomes something that's literally walking alongside me and forming all aspects of my life. It's a living hope. And all of it, when we think about the future, is that there will come a day when we enter into this eternity with God where we experience moral and physical perfection. And that's why it says in Revelation that all tears will be wiped from our eyes. There will no longer be sin or evil. And God will make all things right. Gospel promises waiting in the future. Rest your hope on gospel promises. What we have to do is we have to understand that when we place our hope upon this world, we're gonna put this world down here, um, when we start to put our weight upon it, there's a sort of sound that um, kind of comes. Everybody's like, please don't put all of your weight on this or we're gonna be picking you up from the ground. And if I tried to, it's not gonna end well and there's gonna be a move that's gonna be made wherever you're just gonna be like, don't do that. That is completely unstable. We don't put our hope in this world. It will not hold. Even if it looks strong enough and we try to make it look like it's really strong, the full weight, once it comes upon, um, once our, our, our weight is on it, it will not hold. It will not hold. But gospel promises, when we get our perspective on the gospel, we get our perspective above the world, when we see from the perspective of the gospel, when we understand what Christ has done, there is both a, a security in the past of like, I know what Jesus Christ accomplished. I know he died on the cross for my sins. I know he came in that manger and I start to rest my weight upon this. And then on top of that, there's another, a place that God gives us. He gives us uh, these, these promises, these gospel promises and I start to put my weight on this. And so now I'm secured in the present with my weight both on the past, secured in the past, and a leaning upon the future promises. And when you stand here, your perspective of all of life and the world is different. You can see more clearly every piece of what's playing out in and around your life and the life of others. You can see more clearly what God has done is you rest upon these things. You don't get your foot too much in the past or too much in the future, but you rest with your weight evenly between the past and the future, and that gives you gospel security. That gives you hope in the present. And this church is where I want us to live. This is where I want us to be walking from. That's the perspective that God wants to give us. Refuse to put your hope in the world. Take it back. Take it back and place it instead on the promises of the gospel. Three things at the end of every message in this series that I'm gonna challenge you to do. I want you to receive it, I want you to teach it, and I want you to share it. Some of you this morning, the process of repentance is going, I've put my foot down upon aspects of the world and I'm going, God, I am asking for your forgiveness for the places that I've put the hope 
in the world and I'm going to make a move in believing to put my hope back into gospel promises. For some of you this morning, this might be an opportunity for you for the first time in your life to get your life off of the world and onto gospel promises. And all you have to do is just come before God and go, I repent, I'm not doing that anymore with my hope or with any part of my life. And I'm putting all of it on the gospel. And I'm not going back. And for some of you this morning, you can make that decision and your entire eternity will change. And if that's a decision that you want to make this morning, Maybe you're with a friend that you could talk to about that. Maybe you want to come and talk to, one of, uh, to me or one of our staff members. We would love to talk to you more about the gospel. Please share it with us if you're ready to make that decision. So receive it. Second, teach it. Parents, a little challenge for you. Teach this to your kids. It might look different based on the age of your kids, but... but uh, It'll also help you reinforce it in your own life. So pick a night this week and use the hope card that we gave you in this little decoration for your home and take it off of the clip and the the passage is right on the back of it. And just read the passage and use this message to guide you, to help you. And just sit down and, and ask three questions. What is hope? And see what your kids say. It'll be different if they're, you know, five or 16. What are things you hope for? And then why is it best to hope in Jesus? You could ask those questions and you could teach it and learn more deeply. Then share it. You can memorize this passage. You can look for somebody that God might lead you this week who's hopeless because of how much they've put their hope in this world. And maybe you could, you could repeat this verse to them and say it to them and encourage them and be like, the gospel's got some hope for you. I'm gonna pray for you that, that you'd see the hope that the gospel has. Or maybe you could email somebody or text somebody this passage and say, hey, I'd love to talk to you more about the gospel. I know where you're at right now. I know it'd be so easy to feel hopeless. But the gospel's got hope for you. And share it. We have the hope of the world. If you've repented and believed, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, we have the hope of the world. Set your hope on the promises of the gospel. Refuse to put your hope in this world. Rest your hope on gospel promises. Receive it, teach it, and share it. Let's pray together. God, I um, am so thankful for hope. I'm so thankful, God, for the way that you have helped me see again and again in my own walk with you that this world has nothing for me. But this world, your world, God, your kingdom has everything. Burn this truth into our lives. Help us to see more clearly where hopelessness has come because our gospel perspective is not clear or weak. And God, into that, into that lack of clarity, into that weakness, you give us your word to strengthen us. And I pray that through the work of your spirit illuminating this word this morning from Titus that we would see clearly the hope of eternal life. And we would look at all the places that we've, all the things we've tried to hope in and we would grab our hope back from the world and we would place all of our hope on gospel promises that will never move, that will endure regardless of what comes. 
Help us, God. Help us, God. Lead us there. We thank you for your truth and your hope. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.